this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, for the last number of weeks, months now, uh, we've been walking through Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. We kind of culminated here asking the question of what does it look like for a Christian to live out their faith in an everyday walk in the midst of a society, in the midst of a culture that's hostile to the way of Jesus. And we find those answers buried and rooted in Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He fleshes out what repentance actually manifests and what it looks like for us as believers day in and day out. There are characteristics, there are traits, there are things within these words of Jesus here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that must be evident in the life of the believer if we're going to claim the name of Christian. If we're going to, if we as men and women of God are going to say, I identify with Christ, I am a follower of Jesus, we cannot make a liar out of him and not have these fruits, these characteristics, these traits evidenced in our life day to day practically. And that brings us to the place of Jesus' teaching on prayer in Matthew chapter 6. We've been kind of breaking down the Lord's Prayer, looking at it as something more than just this monotonous saying that we kind of say uh, at special occasions or at funerals or something like that. Um, It's not just something that we pray for forgiveness of sins, but we look at it as um, a model of prayer for us to implement daily and consistently in our pursuit of Jesus. Not that there are magic, not that there's magic in these particular words that Jesus says here, but there's very clearly an outlined, um, there's, a, there's an outline here of something that we can bring in our personal prayer life to God that is healthy and helpful to follow, and it's the reason why Jesus teaches on it that way. And so um, we're nearing our end of Jesus's teaching on prayer here in the Sermon on the Mount here at least, uh, in this passage of what we are referring to as the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. Uh, We've walked through five of six particular petitions already. The six bringing us today, Matthew 6, 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And uh, the first, I want to walk us through these petitions Uh, of the Lord's Prayer, just as we kind of build up into the kind of the culmination, the ending point here in Matthew 6, 13. The first and foremost petition is that God's name would be regarded as holy, right? Hallowed be your name is the first aspect. It's the introduction to this prayer. And we understand this, that that takes preeminence over every other thing. In fact, the the subsequent petitions that Jesus makes and models in this prayer as the Lord's prayer uplift and help fulfill this first petition of God being regarded as holy. We talked about that a number of weeks ago. We do have a podcast. If you have missed some weeks and want to go look back on some teaching, we're on YouTube, right? We're on YouTube and on Apple Podcasts and on our website, 
Um, I'm not going to go super in-depth over all these, but I do think it's helpful to bring in a cohesive picture here. Um, But we talk about the first and foremost of these petitions as being that God would be regarded as holy, that he'd be regarded as different, that he would be set in a place of preeminence in our lives day in and day out. And we follow that up with requests for God's kingdom to come and his will to be accomplished. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These first three petitions primarily deal with God and his glory. And then a shift takes place where the, the, the focus is, uh, is uh, diverted somewhat towards us and asking God uh, to fulfill our needs in the sense of he wants to meet our physical needs by giving us daily bread. We talked about the fact that God actually does care about our physical needs and our needs of sustenance and uh, wanting to provide. And he cares about our spiritual needs. Last week, we talked about the need of forgiveness, right? Asking God for forgiveness, right? And also uh, talked about that, that kind of contingency there on that forgiveness. We spent a long time about, uh, uh, you know, you have to forgive. <laughs> uh, that's a, a major principle of the gospel. And Jesus is teaching that uh, he even goes on into such manner of saying that, forgiveness of our sins is determined on whether or not we're willing to forgive and able to forgive other people. Like, I didn't say that. Don't call me out as heretic. Don't say that's unreasonable. Listen to my message last week. It's intense, but you can only be right with God. Um, You can't be right with God and wrong with other people. He's very concerned about bitterness. He's very concerned about you forgiving other people. And uh, we talked about that last week. But that brings us in kind of this culmination of uh, exploring this petition that deals with these concepts of temptation and deliverance. And it's it's kind of a doozy, friends. It's not one that I can just like, boom, here we go, drop in, drop out. Uh, There's a lot to this one, and it it always gets me thinking. And I love the conversations that are stemmed um, from this passage of Scripture. But I'm going to read it again, Matthew 6, 13. Um, This is the prayer that Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying to the Father, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, this is an interesting request on all accounts, and I believe it's necessary for us to unpack this in the light of the whole of Scripture. Now, I had a bunch, Adam asked me for a bunch of, my sermon, uh, my references for my Bible verses. Um, I will probably share some that are not already in the computer there, Elliot. So, um, and I'll probably share more. Um, I might not share all of them that are there because I have a lot this morning. Um, but I think it's helpful for us to kind of take a step back, look at the whole of Scripture in order to best understand what Jesus is praying here. Um, because we have to develop sound theology regarding these concepts and these thoughts of temptation, of trial, of deliverance, of the devil, <laughs> of the evil one. And in order to do that, it's helpful, not just helpful, it's necessary to look at the whole of Scripture. Because at first glance, it seems to indicate that God can and might lead his people into temptation. Um, and 
there would be no other reason for Jesus to ask God not to do that, right? If that wasn't a possibility, if that wasn't a case. And I think that you could kind of get some twisting and some skewed ideas of who God is and his character if we didn't examine this from the whole point of scripture. Does that make sense? Does anybody ever get confused when they read this? And like, why did Jesus pray that? No, okay, I did. Um, I've got two hands up. Well, I've got a microphone in this hand. Um, because uh, language can be confusing. But I think the, the, the most helpful place to start is to look at the word temptation that's used here in the New Testament. It's a Greek word that's used here in Matthew chapter 6. It's used throughout the entire, uh, entirety of the New Testament. It's parisimos, and it translates literally as trial or testing, and is often used as the word temptation here. It's the same word that's used by James in James chapter 1 when he says, uh, in verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance or endurance. He goes on in verse 13 to use this same word again, saying, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Guys, this answers something important for us when we're talking about temptation. And I want to establish it from the forefront and from the get-go here, is that God does not tempt us. You need to understand that scripture is very clear on this fact that God is not the tempter. God is not the, uh, I, I think of, uh, I might use this example later, but God is not coming before us as, as a good father placing a bucket of your favorite ice cream in front of you and saying, don't eat it, and like turning away. Like no good parent would do that, right? We know that what would happen to the ice cream. Let's be honest, if any of you set a bucket of ice cream in front of me and told me not to eat it, that's probably not going to end well, <laughs> if I'm being just completely honest. God is not in the business of tempting, but he is in the business of testing and using trials and using life to test our faith to determine whether or not it can be trusted. You see, he may test us. Uh, if you remember Abraham back in the book of Genesis, right? His faith was tested. He was uh, tested with Isaac. And uh, there's, there's this clear delineation, of, uh, delineation between temptation and testing. But how do we determine that when it's the same word that's used in the Greek, right? What's, what's, what gives there? is one of the things that we kind of have to ask. But I would say this, temptation is what God allows to test us, but it is initiated by our own desires. When we're talking about temptation in the traditional sense of what we're talking about today, because I, I want to break it down. I want to look at it from a healthy perspective for us to really understand what temptation is, how do we combat it, and how do we live victorious in it? So this concept of temptation is interesting because just two chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 4, it begins with saying that Jesus was led up by the Spirit, by God, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
This is interesting, right? Can, can, can anybody track with me while reading this at first glance can seem a little confusing, right? Because Jesus is teaching on prayer just a few chapters later. He's teaching on prayer and he's saying, pray like this, ask God not to lead you into temptation, but to deliver you from the evil one. And just a few chapters earlier, uh, Jesus was led by God into the wilderness for the very specific purpose of being tempted by who? The devil. Okay, clearly mark that. The devil is the one doing the tempting here. You see, um, one could argue that God didn't answer Jesus's prayer not to be led in temptation because we know that he's teaching on prayer here and you'll be like, well, he didn't pray this until two chapters later. Uh, this was something that was an everyday part of Jesus's life probably. He probably prayed this before he went into the wilderness. So, so you got to begin to ask the question, what is Jesus actually getting at here? Um, and I think it's important for us to continue on in looking at what transpires. You see, God, the Holy Spirit, led Jesus to a place of temptation for the ultimate benefit for all of humanity, right? Hebrews 2, verse 18, tells us that for he himself has suffered, this is talking about Jesus, being emptied, he is able to aid those who are tempted. I can't read because my glasses are dirty. <laughs> verse 18, this verse will make a lot more sense if I read it correctly. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So we look at this, there was a specific and good reason why God led Jesus into the wilderness specifically to be tempted by the devil. And it would be so that he could have sympathy with us and understanding what it was like to face temptation. Okay? Uh, this is, it, it's, it's important to know that there was a purpose behind God's leading. In the same way, the trials and the temptations that we face on an everyday basis, there is a reason and good purpose why God permits and allows those things to happen and enter into our lives. Obviously, this was for the good of all humanity that Jesus was tempted and that we would be able to sympathize with our Savior, that our Savior would be able to sympathize with us. It wasn't something that was foreign. It's something that uh, we kind of have equity and understanding in that we have both been tempted. The difference is that Jesus didn't fall into temptation, right? He stood strong in the face of it. This is really important to note here. Um, and this is all going to come full circle and hopefully answer some questions. But Jesus here was tempted. We know Jesus was without sin, right? You need to understand this. Temptation in and of itself is not sinful. Sinful. When you are tempted to do something wrong, when you are tempted to sin, when you are tempted to break God's law, that in and of itself is not sinful. And there's nothing wrong with you because you are tempted to do things against God's will. That's human nature that exists. Jesus himself was tempted. 
It becomes sin when we fall into it. Does that make sense? It becomes sin when we yield and give to the temptation, when we give in to the desire. The fact that you have desire, the fact that there are things that you want um, and there are things that you want to do and there's desires that you want to satisfy are not just this degree that you are just this pathetic, worthless, uh, just, you know, kind of throwaway piece of garbage. The fact of the matter is that means you're human. <laughs> I'm not saying it as an excuse. I'm not trying to justify behavior or anything like that. But the reality is, if it is, you are going to be tempted. You are going to be tempted to break God's law. You're going to be tempted to walk in disobedience. You're going to be tempted to sin. That's the reality of the life that we live because we live in a broken world and temptation is not going to go away until we're in heaven with Jesus. There isn't like a... There isn't like a level of spiritual maturity that you're going to reach where you're no longer tempted. It's not like, oh, I've been saved for the last 26 years. I'm no longer tempted. Does that make sense? It's not the same way. It's not it's like marriage. Uh, you're not going to be married for so long that you're not tempted to think about other things. You're not going to be uh, alive for so long that you're tempted that sin just isn't like a thing anymore. Um, there is temptation that rouses its head um, and that wants to see you fail. And that comes from the enemy. That comes from our adversary, the devil. So this, this is, I'm getting off track. I'm getting off of my notes and I should get back on. Um, the question remains then, if trials, testing, and temptation are used to produce spiritual maturity, right? This is what we were talking about in James just a few verses ago, understanding that trials and temptation, they're used to produce endurance and patience or what we might define as spiritual matur maturity. Why would Jesus seemingly pray that they wouldn't come, right? Because that seems like what Jesus is asking um, because he has experienced firsthand the temptation that comes and understands the benefit of standing firm in the midst of temptation and producing patience. That brings us to the place of where we read this passage, and it says, lead us not into temptation. And I believe we must emphasize the word into here. We are not praying that we should not be tempted. That's not the prayer, because the rest of scripture is very clear that temptation is going to come, that there is a testing that is going to come, and that when we stand strong in the face of trials, when we stand strong in the face of temptation, that we ultimately grow as a result of that. And so that's not what we're praying, that we wouldn't be tempted, um, but we do know that we will. In fact, uh, I think it would be easy to say that every step we take is a step into the presence of temptation. There's no moment of your life that is not a moment of temptation, a moment where unbelief or disobedience is not a possibility. I think that reality is, is that very clearly, we live in a fallen world, we live in a fallen state, and that at any given moment, we could break God's law. And that temptation is right there asking and begging us to do something contrary to God's will. But the prayer that we see Jesus pray is that we would not fall, that we would not be led into temptation, which he directly associates 
with the need for us to be delivered from the evil one. What it does is it teaches us to pray what I believe this, this passage here when we're praying is that it teaches us to pray that temptation does not take us in. That we would not be led into temptation. It's kind of like the idea of like I could, there's a difference of going to a lake and going into a lake, right? I could lead Adam to a lake and it could be there, but I could also lead him to a lake and then push him into the lake and cause him to fall and get his clothes all wet, right? I believe that in life, we will face temptation. In life, we will be led, we will face temptation, but there's a difference between facing temptation and falling into it. Does that make sense? A little bit. It should make more sense here because I feel like the New Living Translation, which I love to read just for clarity's sake, it's not necessarily my primary source of study, but I, it just helps make sense of things for me. It translates this first uh, Matthew 6.13 like this. It says, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. There's a difference between being led into temptation or being tried or being tested, and there's a difference between yielding to that temptation and going into it and giving in to temptation. The second part of this petition is that we would be delivered from the evil one. And it's very important for our understanding in regards to the first part of the petition of uh, not being led into temptation or not letting us be, uh, not be yield, let us not yield to temptation because it clearly lays before us that we have an enemy. Paul would describe this enemy in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5 as the tempter. Again, we've walked through a couple verses of scripture where it clearly lays out that the devil was the one that tempted Jesus. And there's a lot of people in this life right now, a lot of people in the world today. Um, in fact, some of us here in this room probably can count uh, a number of people that we know that refuse to believe in God because of the injustice that exists in the world or the evil that plagues society and plagues the world, right? We, we know people that refuse to believe that there can be a good God because there's evil that exists. And maybe that's even something that you've struggled with and trying to come to terms with. How can a good and loving God allow evil to exist? Why is it here? Why is it persistent? Yet the same people and even much of the modern church, I feel like... Um, has the, the backwards thinking here, and they don't believe that we actually have an enemy. They don't look at the evil and the injustice and the sickness and the perverseness and the sin that runs rampant and the brokenness of the world and use that same accusation and say, well, then the devil must exist, right? They don't look and say, well, then there must be a Satan because evil exists, right? They just say evil exists, so there must not be a God, <laughs> But the reality is that there is evil, there is sickness, there is perverseness, there is brokenness, there is a fallen state that exists, and I believe it's in direct correlation and relation to the work of our enemy, to a real devil who is not just a fairy tale. 
And I, I know that it's easy for us, and I'm not here to like give him all the credit. I'm not here to try to like just you know make him into this big bad like oh everything's wrong with your life just because of Satan. But he is terrible, <laughs> and he is bad, <laughs> and he doesn't want anything good for your life. And we do have a real enemy, and a lot of us just kind of chalk it up to fairy tale, like our picture of Satan. And our picture of the devil is like a little red guy with pitchforks that sits on your shoulder that tells you to do bad things, right? That's not who he is. He is a conniver. He is a, uh, he is a schemer, and he wants to see you fail. I've always had this idea, and I've yet to actually figure out a way to do it. But I've, I wanted to preach a message for some time. Now I'm letting the cat out of the bag, and you all know what will be going on, but... Um, I've wanted to preach a message that was just 100% like uh, heretical and just completely wrong um, and just twisted and perverted like with a, with a hinge of truth to it so it sounds spiritual but have everything be wrong and have it be about Satan having a plan for your life because everybody believes that God has a plan for your life, right? Everybody has heard that, right? That Jesus has a plan for you or, or you know, you, we take... Uh, Verses out of Jeremiah out of context and, you know, that he wants to see you succeed and prosper and, you know, bless your bank account or whatnot. And you hear all this stuff. And we, we know that God has a plan for your life, right? But Satan has a plan for your life too. And it's one of destruction and it's one of deceit. And it's one of ultimate end, of an ultimate end and misery. There is an enemy of our souls. There is a tempter. There is a real devil who desires nothing more than for you to fail. And I, I don't want anyone here to fall into the danger of what I believe so many people do is neglect the notion that there is a real enemy or forget the thought that there is a real spiritual battle. It's not just a battle between your flesh and wanting to say yes to Jesus, you actually do have, uh, there, there's a spiritual force that's working against you that wants to see you falter, that wants to see you fail. I mean, that's why Peter would tell us in 1 Peter 5.8 to be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, meaning that you have an enemy, like think of, think like a, of a chess game. So you, maybe that's not the best example, but um, you have an enemy, you have an opponent, you have an adversary, the devil, who walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There is strong theology throughout scripture to tell us that we have a real enemy, but yet we don't actually, we don't actually want to believe that he exists sometimes. We try to just sidestep, you know, that whole thing because it's weird and it's uncomfortable and we don't really know a lot about it, but um, the reality is, is that there's a real enemy that wants to see you falter, that wants to see you fail. There is a devil, there is a Satan, there is Lucifer that wants to see you falter and fail. But the beauty of it is, is that God has a solution for that. <laughs> God has a plan in place to deal with our enemy. He's already done it uh, through his son for us. But it actually goes on to tell us, um, John tells us in 1 John 3, 8, that uh, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He who sins is of the devil. This is verse 8. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. 
For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. This is the reason Jesus came, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That is like, man, if you want like a good pick-me-up in the morning, read that verse and remember the reason why Jesus was manifested, the reason why Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. <laughs> I love the fact that he has chosen to deal with evil this evil that exists, this evil that runs rampant through his son. And it's an awesome, beautiful thing. Sin and temptation, friends, they're only enticing for a season. Think about how well uh, cigarette companies would be able to sell their product if they like led with, hey, would you like lung cancer? Right? That's absurd. That, that wouldn't work very well, right? It, it does, it's not like, hey, do you want to be cool and, and like, look like your friends or something like that? No. They, if you led with like, the actual result of years of smoking, uh, very few, I, I don't want to say none, but uh, very few people would be stupid enough to be like, yeah, sign me up for that. Right? I think that's like the new like marketing strategy of like these anti-smoking campaigns, which is good. We'll welcome them. Um, but in the same way, the enemy doesn't use the tactic of coming to you and say, hey, would you like to throw your whole life down the gutter? Right? Or, hey, how would you like your wife and your family to leave you? <laughs> like, hey, he doesn't wake up one morning and just say, hey, it would be a really good idea if you just got full-blown addicted to meth. Right? That's the, those things are not the like end repercussion that anybody just really wants to sign up for, right? It's not like, hey, do you want to throw your, your wife and family away? No, he's like, hey, maybe you should go send that text message to that cute girl and ask maybe, maybe what she's doing later tonight, right? Don't do that. That's bad. That's temptation. We're saying no to that. It's, it's not so much that, hey, I'm just going to lay before you the fact that your wife's going to leave you, your kids are going to hate you, and you're going to wind up like, just like terrible. <laughs> the end result, Shelby gave me a thumbs up. She's like, don't send that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the reality of it is, is temptation isn't so tempting uh, when you keep the end result in mind. If we continue to read James 1, um, in verse 14 and 15, when it says, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, goes on to say, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, right? So the desire is not sin. Having the desire, having that temptation there is not sin. But when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When we don't stand strong in the face of temptation, when we yield to it, which is what we're praying to Jesus to keep us from, when we yield to it and we sin, uh, when that sin is full grown, it brings forth death. It brings forth destruction. And that's the ultimate goal of our enemy is to see us completely broken before God, to see death brought forth and see no hope of life for Christ in us. So one of the things that helps me in terms of standing down temptation 
And there's lots in here. We could talk about the armor of God. We could talk about how Jesus combated temptation with the very word of God. Uh, we've talked about that quite a bit. And you can listen to past messages regarding that. But uh, a real practical thing for me is just to think about, if I do this, what's the end result? How is this action going to affect my relationship with my family? How is it going to reflect my relationship? How is it going to affect my relationship with God? And at the end of the day, is it really worth it? Um, I've been on this semi-health kick. I've not been doing too great the last number of months. But I was, uh, I was for a while. <laughs> I'm just being honest. <laughs> we had a wedding and then birthday parties, and I like cake. Can we, can we just be real? Um, pray for your pastor. I need help, Jesus. <laughs> but there was a, a strong spell there where I was getting up every morning and I was riding. I was trying to do like 20 miles a day on the Peloton, on the, you know, the road bike, and uh, was doing pretty good. And I'd always get a little discouraged when I got off of the bike and I'd been riding for like an hour and a half or I was just really like just drenched in sweat. And like the workout, like to end all workouts, I felt like. And I'd look and be like, you burn 600 calories. And then I'd go look at like how many calories are in a milkshake from Sonic. And they're like 1250 for like a small. And I'm thinking, I would have to do that twice to justify drinking this once. Is it really worth it? <laughs> and the question is no. <laughs> One, I have to pay for this. Two, that equates to how many times I have to ride a bike. Um, the math really doesn't work out. <laughs> Can I tell you anything that inhibits your relationship with God is not worth it. And when we take a step back and we try to put ourselves in a right headspace, we recognize really that the enticement of the enemy is never worth it. Ever, 100% of the time, it's not worth yielding your relationship with God for a temporary, fleeting, passing pleasure that will never truly satisfy. It's good in theory. But how many of you guys know we don't think straight when we're being tempted? Right? <laughs> I don't think straight in the moment of temptation and that's why I believe Jesus modeled this prayer for us to come to the Holy Spirit consistently and ask for his help and that we wouldn't yield, that we wouldn't give in, that we wouldn't fall into temptation, but rather we would be delivered from the evil one. How many of you guys have heard the phrase or the saying that God won't give you more than you can handle, right? You guys know that verse of scripture? It's not a verse of scripture. Um, <laughs> But I do believe it takes its roots from uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. It says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The notion that God won't give you more than you can handle is a poorly diluted phrase that I think comes and stems from this verse. But uh, if you were to ask me, I would say that, that 
notion God not giving you more than can handle is rubbish. Each and every day, uh, we are faced with a monstrosity of things that we cannot handle, <laughs> right? So if any of you can take up your cross and deny yourself and say yes to Jesus by yourself, you're fooling yourself. <laughs> you can't handle it. You can't handle the troubles that are promised. You can't handle the cares of this world that are placed upon you. You need the Holy Spirit enabled to do so. But here, bringing it back to where I think this saying gets its roots is dealing with temptation and saying God's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. He's saying that he will make a way of escape through him in the face of any adversary, of any trial, of any temptation. You know, Satan has to ask for permission before he interferes in our lives. Job outlines that. We see, we see, uh, we see all kinds of, we, we talked about that heavily when we look at Job. Um, I believe as men and women of God, I think there's natural like, consequences of sin in the state of living in a fallen world. But we see God giving permission to the enemy to allow him, to, to allow him access to his children in order that we might be tested, in order that we might be, that we might prove God faithful. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy, and I realize we don't have a lot of time to unpack all of the theology surrounding that, but what we do know from this verse is that God is faithful. You're going to be tempted, but he's going to provide a way of escape for it. And I believe it leans back into why Jesus prayed this prayer and he models it in the Sermon on the Mount is that we need to have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. We need to lean into him. We need to ask daily for his help that we might rely upon him and see the way of escape and flee when that opportunity presents itself. I could talk, I was going to talk about Joseph and we we're going to talk about Potiphar. We were going to look at all these other stories this morning, but... I think just very simply today, I don't need to over-preach this, we need the Holy Spirit's help if we're going to live victorious and we're going to stand firm uh, in the face of temptation. Jesus was praying this as a model for us that we don't get too cocky, <laughs> that we don't get too headstrong or too prideful that we think that just because we've been serving Jesus so long or that just because we've had such a good clean streak that you know what we're going to make it and we've got this Christian thing figured out right that's why uh, <laughs> that's why we read there Paul saying take heed lest we fall right Let's take notion here let's let's recognize maybe we're not as strong and put together as we pretend we are. And let's ask the Holy Spirit for help. Let's ask God the Father to help us and keep us from falling into temptation and deliver us from the work of the enemy. Deliver us from Satan's schemes that we might live victoriously, that we might fulfill what Jesus talks about here, to be perfect like he is perfect, to be holy like he is holy we might be pleasing to God. How many of you guys struggle with temptation? Okay, thank you for being honest. I do. 
I do a lot. I'm tempted to say things that I shouldn't say. I'm tempted to do things I shouldn't do. And the only hope <laughs> that I have of getting it right is his Holy Spirit. And I believe he wants to see us get it right. This isn't like, oh, you're just pathetic, blah, blah, blah. No, the reality is we need him. My prayer is that we would look to him. We'd find a way of escape. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.